Today's sermon passage is found in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall be all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree." so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen. Thank you, Brittany. You may be seated, and as you take your seat, let's all pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for these words which you have spoken and have preserved for us. Now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand them and to believe them and that you would transform us through them. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and we pray it uh, for his glory. Help us, O oh God, we pray now. Amen. So good to see you all this morning. If you haven't done so, please take your Bible or the Bible under the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Galatians chapter Three. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Galatians, and um, <clears throat> there's an interesting thing about Galatians. It's only six chapters long, and Paul spends, Paul, the author of Galatians, spends two of those chapters in the introduction. So really today, the, the guts of the letter are just getting started. So we're, we're in many ways right at the beginning. So if you've been with us the last two months, good job. If you haven't, you're kind of here for the beginning. Um, and we're glad that you're with us. Here's the message that we see in these 14 verses this morning. And I'm going to argue that is really the heart of the book of Galatians. Here's the message. Humans find right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Hard stop. Humans try to add to the goodness of the gospel by creating extra layers that are required for us to be accepted by God as if Jesus' death and burial and resurrection weren't enough. 
So today we're not gonna hurl stones at Galatians for their idiotic behavior, but rather we're gonna ask this question. Where are we prone to add to the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us as the Galatians were prone to do in this book? So that's it. If someone drug you here today, you have no intention of listening to the sermon. I just gave it to you. You can sound informed at lunch. But guys, we're not here so we can sound informed at lunch. We're here so we can get the gospel right and walk with Jesus rightly and bear fruit. And so we're going we're gonna to dig down here a little further. So if you want to take note this morning, the first point, getting started. If we've just finished the introduction, then it's probably important that I not assume you all remember everything that we've said over the last couple months. Anybody want to sign up for that? Hung on every word and got it all? Yeah, I I don't even remember it, okay? So let me see if I can quickly set the stage for, for where we are. There's a man named Paul, and Paul literally met the resurrected Jesus. And this Paul was radically converted into a Christ follower and was sent by Jesus as a messenger to build churches. Especially, he was sent to spread the message of Jesus Christ to those outside of Jerusalem and outside of the Jewish context. That's really important. So Paul went on journeys to spread the message of Jesus. We would probably call them mission trips. He went on journeys to spread the message of Jesus. And one of his first journeys, recorded in the book of Acts, about chapters 11, 12, and 13, he passed through a region, an area of towns known as Galatia. And there in Galatia, while Paul ministered, many became Christ followers and many churches were started. Now, Paul's method was not to stay in these churches, but to keep moving and keep preaching and keep starting new ones. So his habit was to write letters back to these churches to instruct them, to encourage them, and to address problems within them. If you're new to the Bible, most of the New Testament is is made up of these letters that Paul was writing back to churches to encourage them, to teach them, and to correct them. Galatians is one of these letters. It was written specifically to address problems in this young church. The problem in Galatia, what we've been calling the Galatian problem, is that there are some people from Jerusalem who have come down and they are saying this. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus as God's Savior. But you also need to add circumcision and submission to the law of Moses so that you can be complete as a follower of God. So they were saying, yes, you need faith in Jesus, but you also need to submit yourself to the law of Moses and to 
the Jewish customs. And so these are problematic people who've come to persuade and bother the Galatians. And Paul, the author of Galatians, he's incensed. He's incensed. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Like, Paul's not happy. This isn't a subtle reminder. This is a stern rebuke. Which, minimally, we can stop right there halfway through verse 1 and say, there are times where stern rebuke is required for faithfulness to Jesus, and there are times where stern rebuke is a gift. Now, most of the times that we exercise stern rebuke are not those times, but there are times. And the sternness is, Paul feels that the addition to the message actually completely undermines the message. Hey, here's the message. You don't have to perform good works to earn God's favor, love, acceptance, or forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus lived and died and rose again. And he took your punishment and he offered his perfect life as your acceptance before God. One person said, amen. That's the good news. But... You also need to hold up your end of the bargain. You need to do some things to kind of solidify it up. Doesn't that kind of just make the Jesus thing in the middle completely unnecessary? Doesn't that rob the good news? Doesn't that take away the freedom? Doesn't that just catapult it all back on us to do our thing? Unless you think I'm making this up, that's how chapter 2 ended. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul's saying, we're going to argue and fight and push and defend the faith in such a way that we elevate what Christ has done and not trample it down and make it unnecessary. And that's where we begin in chapter Second point, more faith and works. There is this flow that picks up in chapter 2, verse 15, and really goes through the end of chapter 4, where Paul is, is juxtaposing works of the law, which we should hear as religious performing to earn God's blessing, with... Hearing the gospel in faith, which we should mean hearing the message of Jesus and saying, yes, I trust that Jesus. I'll stop all the other attempts because I believe Jesus has done for me what must be done. I cling to him. And so Paul is going to go right at the Galatians and he's going to say, you've been bewitched. And he's going to appeal to their experience. And he says in verse 1, look, 
you had the gospel of Jesus clearly proclaimed before you, so much so that, that he says it was before your eyes that, that you saw the portrayal of his crucifixion. Verse 2, do you have the Spirit? Yes. The Spirit is a sure sign of you belonging to God. Verse 2, tell me this. Did you get the Spirit through works of the law, or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? Implied, we receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. Okay, then, will you be completed and perfected by the Spirit working through you and by hearing with faith or by your works of the law? Is God going to continue to work through you and pour his miracles out through you based upon your works or upon hearing with faith and upon his power? The issue in the section is this. Now that we have entered the kingdom by faith, do we need to layer up our own religious performance before God to complete our faith? Particularly in this context, the question was, do the Galatians need circumcision and submission to the Jewish customs and submission to the law of Moses? And Paul offers a robust no. And if you were here last week, you're like, dude, didn't you preach this sermon last week? Yeah, I didn't prepare all week and we're about to go home. That, that is a lot of what Paul says at the end of chapter 2. And by the way, I'm not done and we're not going home. Um, I may or may not have prepared this week. Uh, that was a joke, and like one person laughed. Y'all must have heard from the first service how rocky this thing is. Um, but what Paul's going to do in chapter 3 and 4 is he's going to get theologically dense and biblically robust to argue down this misunderstanding of how we walk with Jesus. The misunderstanding being that we need to add law-keeping to faith in Christ to be complete as followers of Christ. Now, you might say, well, why? Why do we got to do that? I mean, some of us love theology. We're like, yeah, man. We're going to do theology. And the pastor has patches on the elbows of his jacket. I bet he smokes a pipe while rubbing his beard that he doesn't have and saying, let's do theology. And the rest of you are like, oh no. Theology. And I just want to remind you, if you can learn to order a coffee at a coffee shop, you can learn to use theological language. I remember when we just went to Waffle House and said, I'll take it black. And that's all they needed to know. I mean, it may not have been good, but that's how you order coffee. Okay. But so, so those of you who love theology, you're like, just bring it raw, brother. We're going to for the next few weeks. But those of you who are like, oh, no. Theology. Here's why. 
Here's why. Because the opponents in Galatia were using theology to deceive. So if this were modern days, the opponents in Galatia probably would have had a polyester suit from Men's Warehouse and they would have knocked on your door about 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning with a Bible under their arm. And they would have said, let me convince you that your religious faith is insufficient, that you need a little more. Okay? The issue is, the Galatians were Gentiles. They had no history in God's word. No history in the promises of God. They were the the newbie believing unchurched folks that we all pray for to come to know Jesus. And then along comes a slick Bible person saying, let me give you this key insight that, that you're missing. You're just not quite there yet. I'm glad that God Paul brought you the gospel, the good news. I'm glad he told you that Christ died for your sin and brought you new life. But if you want to be complete, if you want to go all the way, if you want to be deep with God, then you need to read the Old Testament. And you need to take up the law of Moses. And you need to take up circumcision. And you need to take up these dietary and and, and table fellowship things and celebrate all the holidays. I mean, you get how winsome that might be to somebody who just doesn't know. And they're like, Look, I got your book, and it's right here on this page, right? So here's what Paul's going to do in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He's going to say, okay, let's, let's open the book. In this case, the book's the Old Testament. Let's open the book, and let's have the conversation on their terms. And I'm going to show you that they're so that you can be free to trust in Christ and believe that he is enough. And here's the argument. It picks up. I lost my spot. I'm in a random page in 1 Samuel now. Give me a second. Um, Okay. He picks up in verse 6. He says, okay, you want to do Bible? Let's go all the way back to Abraham. What was the basis of Abraham's relationship with God? And Paul's answer? He heard the promise of God and he trusted God's faithfulness. That's the answer. Abraham's relationship with God was not based on Abraham's performance. It was not based on Abraham's morality It wasn't based on Abraham's keeping of the law because God hadn't even spoken the law yet. It was based on God speaking to Abraham, God making a promise to Abraham, and Abraham choosing to trust God and God's promise. New Testament word for that? Faith. So what Paul says is, let's do Abraham. Let's whiteboard that one. And what I'm going to show you is Abraham wasn't a man of law. Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man of promise. Now, guys, if you're new to the Bible, 
Here's what's really hard about starting in Genesis. It's long, so there's that. But here's what else is hard about starting in Genesis. A lot of us, that when we are new to the Scripture, I came to be a Christ follower when I was about 19. When we're new to the Scripture, we think what we're going to see in the Scripture are good moral examples, right? Except the people in Genesis are absolute scoundrels. Absolute scoundrels. And the story is God coming to absolute scoundrels and choosing to enter relationship with them and choosing to work through them and asking them to accept his promises as their way forward. And Abraham wants to do that, but even he finds it hard. So Abraham, we're told, was the father not of law, not, uh, but the father of those who believe God and find their acceptance before God through what God provides. That's the argument in chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what Paul is ultimately pushing for and arguing for is that the true descendants of Abraham aren't the the children of law, but they're the children of faith. And I think for us this morning, Abraham might serve as a beautiful word picture of what faith looks like. So this is Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Okay? In that realm. But this is the Abraham story. Abraham's in his 90s, and his wife's in her 90s, and they don't have any kids. So we got kids in the room, so I'm going to be vague, but you all get the tension, right? Abraham's in his 90s, wife's in her 90s, they have no kids. And God says this to Abraham. He says, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. Huh, funny. I don't have any kids. Did you know that? Yeah, look up, Okay. You see all those stars? Yeah, count them. Okay, you tired yet? Yeah, I'm going to make you as vast as those stars in the sky. That's the promise. But hey, you do know I'm 90. Yeah. You do know she's 90. Yeah. They laughed. But then Genesis 15 Verse 6 says, Abraham believed God's word and God's promise. And that God would fulfill his word and his promise in spite of Abraham's inability. And it was counted to, God, to Abraham as righteousness. The base of Abraham's relationship with God was him trusting that the Lord would do the work that he couldn't do. Now, Genesis 15, Abraham believes. But then Abraham goes, well, this isn't working out so well, so maybe God needs my help. So he goes and gets another wife. Like, we'll just remove the problem, because obviously it can't be my problem. It's got to be hers. So we'll give me another wife, and we'll help God keep his promise. And so Abraham has a kid, and God says, no, no. That's not how we're going to do this. That's disobedience. 
I'm going to keep my word to you through you and Sarah. So they laugh at God. And God says, I'm going to keep my word. And the basis of Abraham's relationship with God was God choosing relationship with Abraham. God revealing his relationship with Abraham. And God promising to work for his purposes through Abraham. And Abraham is the father of those who say, okay, I will trust you, God. I will, I will trust you because I have nowhere else to turn. Friends, that's what faith is. I recognize that I have nowhere else to turn and God has provided me with everything that I could ever need in his son. So I trust his son. I trust the work of Jesus to take away my sin and offer life that I could never earn. I entrust myself to Jesus. Now, our third point is going to consider deeply this work of Jesus to take away our sin. But before we go there, let me just speak two words of application to those of us who would call ourselves Christ followers. Number one, we could read this and go like this. Oh, foolish Galatians. I can't believe you got duped by those guys from Jerusalem. Tisk, tisk, tisk. I think a better takeaway for us is this. In what ways are we prone to add to the goodness of the gospel of Jesus? In what ways are we prone to say, yeah, yeah what Christ did for us is good, but you need to seal the deal with this? Often churches accidentally blur the line between um, we obey because we've been loved to we need to obey so that we will stay loved. You know that blurriness? Yeah. So where in our own hearts are we prone to think, if I don't, comma, then God won't? Because those are the places where we're falling into this Galatian trap again and again and again. Second, and I understand the caution that I'm about to give. When we think deeply about who these deceivers were in Jerusalem and what they excuse me, in Galatia, the deceivers from Jerusalem, and what they were up to and how they were presenting themselves, I just want to remind you, don't blindly follow every idiot with the Bible. And I understand that I might be the idiot. We believe that the word of God as given to us is right and true and good and to be trusted and to be the base of our faith and the base of our life and that which guides how we live out our faith, 
We don't believe that everything that everyone says with a Bible in their hand is on equal footing with this here truth. Which is why I wish all social media would go away tomorrow. But it's not, so we must be discerning. Now here's what this means for you. If you're a part of Redeemer, then one hour of every week of your life is coming to listen to me tell you about the Bible. You should be discerning. If I'm not speaking the truth, if I'm not pointing you to the Lord, if I'm not giving you his word, then I either need to be eradicated or you need to go. And I don't want you to go and I don't want to be eradicated, so I hope I'm doing this right. But we must be discerning and ask ourselves these questions. What does the scripture really say? One of our staff members has this great posture that I'm, I'm trying to copy. And I probably shouldn't share this with you because now you'll know our method. But it goes like this. I want to argue with you about fill in the blank. Okay. When you're ready to sit down with the scripture and, and reason with it together, we can talk about whatever you want to. Well, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. So, let's find our unyielding truth in the word of the Lord and not in what people say about it. Third point, the work of Christ. Verses 10 through 14 Paul begins, and I'm stressing begins, because this, this one's going to go and go and go and go, but he begins to wrestle with this question. How does Jesus bring to us justification and righteousness? How does Jesus bring to us being declared right before God and being accepted as child And the truths that we're about to dig into are so hard. And here's why. Our world is completely performance-based. It's completely performance-based. And our God is not building a people based on performance. Our God's not building a people based on performance. So, kids, you want to go to a good college? You know what your parents are going to tell you? Study hard. Make good grades. Get those ACT numbers up. Get my debt down. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. That's fine. That's how we should parent. But that's performance-based. You want to get a raise at work? What are we going to say? Work hard. Show up on time. Be an excellent employee. Go above and beyond. If I owned a business, that's what I would tell you. 
That's fine, but that's completely performance-based. You want to be good at an extracurricular activity? Piano, guitar, a sport? What are we going to say? Put in the work. Practice. Eat better. I don't know if that matters for guitar, but it does for the sport part. I guess one could get so large they couldn't hold the guitar, so eat better. Put in the work. I've coached sports. That's what I said. That's fine, but that's completely performance-based. But that's not how God chose to redeem his people. He chose to redeem his people by saying, here's my son. And my son took all the guilt and condemnation that you deserve on himself. And when he died on the cross, what he was bearing was the penalty of our curse, our sin, our condemnation. And God's son offers life, justification, and righteousness to all who entrust themselves to him. Who have faith like Abraham. Now let's look at the passage. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the end of verse 10 basically says this. In and of yourself, you're cursed. Amen, let's go home. Now, It's evident that no one is justified. That's declared just and righteous and acceptable before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So verses 10, 11, and 12 have said this. Law keeping... Performance-based approach to God always equals curse and condemnation. So what's the way out? Verse 13. Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So you get that. Christ, the righteous one, the son of God, took our curse upon himself. And what happened on the cross was he bore our curse. He took our curse. And what was the fruit of Christ taking our curse? That the blessing of Abraham might come to all the peoples of the earth. And that we would receive justification and the promised spirit through faith. The work of Christ is to offer the salvation of God to all the peoples of the earth. And here's the offer. 
receive my son. Entrust yourself to him. Cease all your attempts at earning and performing for God and entrust yourself to Jesus. And this Jesus will bring you justification and life and relationship with God. Because God has always been building a people of faith and not a people of performance. So, In our first service this morning, we celebrated baptism. And baptism is a picture. It's a word picture of what is going on in this faith. Because we, as we baptize someone, they go under the water. And Romans 6 says it's symbolizing that we're dead to sin We're dead to the life of sin, and we're dead to the pursuit of the law, and we've been raised to a new life in Christ. So here's the appeal. Do we cling to Christ as our righteousness and our justification and our acceptance into the family of God? Do we actually trust that Christ has done everything that we could ever need to be forgiven and welcomed into the family of God? And if so, Have we confessed that? Have we made that public? Have we made that known? And have we said, I stand in Christ? And if we believe that, are we continually by the Spirit seeking to set aside all of our attempts to add performance onto the gospel? Doesn't the Bible say love one another? It does. But I can't love you into God's acceptance. But as the one who's received God's acceptance, who's been filled by the Spirit of God, I can love you as a way to show that the love of God is real. Oh, but the purpose matters so much. I am... In my mid-40s, I don't even remember the year anymore, which is a clear sign that I'm in my mid-40s. And um, our generation is full of people who are hurt, who feel distant from God, and at the end of the day, we still can't believe that we've been accepted. So we keep trying to perform and we keep trying to get better and we keep trying to get over that next hurdle and we keep trying to do the next right thing because honestly in that place that we would never admit in Sunday school but we know is real in here, we just want to know that we've been accepted by God. And what Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says as Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 
so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. And we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, Redeemer, did we receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Having begun by the spirit, are we now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to us work miracles among us by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Oh God, make us a people who hear with faith and cling to Jesus and are forever changed. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would work your work in us and that you would work faith in us. Help us all to respond to your word now, we pray in the name of Jesus.